0: And because of that, because of who He is, we should trust Him and not be anxious. We should trust Him and not worry. So let's go ahead and read our text tonight, and then we'll get into the details of it. If you don't have a Bible, there's, there's some at the end of the rows, and you'll find tonight's passage in those Bibles on page 811. If you do have a Bible, we'll be in the Matthew chapter 6, verses 25-34. through 34. Tonight we'll close out the 6th chapter of Matthew, the 2nd chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to read Matthew six twenty-five through 34 This is Jesus speaking to us. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So as I said, the main point of tonight's message is that God is our creator, he is our provider, and because of that we should trust him and not be anxious. So verse 25, tonight's passage begins with the word, therefore. And I've probably said this here before, but... A long time ago, someone taught me that when you're reading in the Bible and you see the word therefore, you should ask, What is it therefore? Why did Jesus say, Therefore I tell you don't be anxious, instead of just saying don't be anxious? Why do you feel like he had to include that little word there? Jesus said that because he's telling us that there's some sort of connection between our passage tonight and the passage we covered last week. There's some reason that he's saying don't be anxious. Because of everything that I told you last week. So if we think about this connection a little more specifically. Last week we saw that earthly treasures, earthly possessions, they they don't last. They're not going to endure. So because of that, we shouldn't be anxious about them. Last week we saw that we have to make a choice between God and money. We can't serve both. And so because of that, we shouldn't be anxious about how much money we have. Last week we saw that that God demands all of our devotion. All of it. and So we shouldn't worry about those other things in our life that compete for our attention. Because of everything that we saw last week, everything that, that Michael talked about in that passage, all of those things, because of all of that, Jesus is saying, don't be anxious. But there's another way these passages are connected. One thing that Michael brought out, if you were here, he he brought out the fact that sometimes money or earthly possessions, they can become an idol for us. This is when those things compete for our attention so much that they become the source of our joy and they become the object of our worship instead of God. All in the same way. Needs, necessities, things we need for our daily life. They can cause us to lose our focus on God. They can cause us to doubt his word, to doubt who he says he is, and and seek our fulfillment in someone or something else. And I think that Jesus connects these passages because, because he knows us. He understands who we are as humans. He he knows how our minds work, what we think, how we reason. He knows how our heart works, how we feel, what our desires are. And there would have been people in Jesus' day, and I imagine that for those of you who were here last week, some people like this were here who thought, I completely agree. Everything that Michael said about money and wealth and idols, I agree. They can be idols. But then you thought, but what about my needs? I need food for my family. I need clothes for my family. I need water. I need a place to live. I need maybe a little bit bigger house. Maybe a little bit better job. Maybe this, maybe that. And he thought, I get that. I get that money can be an idol, but what about my needs? And so this is why Jesus goes in to talk about being anxious about our needs. You see, all of us, no matter who we are, No matter what we're going through here tonight, we have reasons, at least one reason in our life to be anxious. There's a new school year starting. Some of us might be in new jobs. Some of us might be going through changes at our current job. We might have a new baby or going to be having a baby this year or maybe the the kids that we have are are going through changes and growing. We all have reasons to worry. We all have reasons to be anxious. And And if you don't think you do, just consider the fact that right now as we're meeting our government is playing a 14 trillion dollar game of chicken with our economy. So if that doesn't cause you to worry, I don't know what will. But even though all of us whether whether we have a relationship with Christ or whether we don't, even though we all struggle with anxiety, Jesus tells us not to be. It's the first thing he says. He says don't be anxious. And before we get into the text, you know, since we're talking, since Jesus is commanding us tonight not to be anxious, I think it would be better for us to, to kind of define anxiety and really know what we're talking about instead of just assuming, oh, we, we all know what that is. And so just to throw out a definition of anxiety, it could be defined as, as uneasiness in us, uneasiness caused by fear of danger or misfortune. So there's, there's something coming And it freaks you out, and so you get all stressed out about it. That's essentially what anxiety is. And biblically, there's two types of anxiety. There's there's a good kind, and there's a bad kind. This first kind of anxiety we could call a God-centered anxiety, a God-centered worry. And this results from us trying to look at the world from God's perspective, us trying to look at the world with a biblical viewpoint or a biblical mindset. So, for example, we should be concerned. We should be somewhat anxious about the spiritual state of our family and our friends and our neighbors. If if it doesn't concern us that we know people, that we love people, that we have relationships with people who don't know Christ, then there's probably something wrong with us. That that should concern us. That should worry us. And just so you don't think I'm making this type of anxiety up, look at uh, 2 Corinthians 11 real quick. If you don't want to turn there, you don't have to. I'll read it. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Paul is is explaining to these guys. He's arguing with these guys who, who don't think he's qualified to be an apostle. So he kind of runs through this list of things that he thinks back up his qualifications. And this is what he says. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. So Paul runs through all these things that, that he's struggled with in his life. He's been beaten four times. He's been whipped. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been everything. And then he says this in verse 28. He says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He says, I've gone through all that stuff. I've had all those things happen to me. And even when they're not happening, even when things are good, even when I have food, even when I have clothes, even when I'm not swimming for my life from a shipwreck, I'm still worried about everybody that are in my churches. He's worried about them. And we as believers, as followers of Christ, we should be concerned about our friends and our family at church. I should be concerned about how you're doing. You should be concerned about how I'm doing. It's part of who we are as followers of Christ. And So this is is a good kind of anxiety. We should feel what Paul felt. But there's also that second type of anxiety. that, That bad kind. We could call this a me-centered or a self-centered anxiety. This, this is what happens when we become so concerned about, about what could possibly happen to us, that we stop trusting in God, we stop having faith in Him, and we start relying on ourselves or someone else to protect and provide for our needs. We, we start looking to the future, and we see something coming, and we think, God isn't going to take care of that. I need to do it on my own. And obviously, in our text tonight, it's this second type of anxiety that Jesus is telling us not to have. He's saying don't be... He's not telling us to not be concerned about one another. He's saying don't have your anxiety cause you to doubt who God is. We're going to see this worked out in our text. The passage tonight, it breaks down very, very simply. In verse 25, Jesus is going to give us a command. We've already seen it. Don't be anxious. He's going to back that command up with this general principle. He's going to form a a, a structured, logical argument to back up the command he gives us. And then after giving us that principle, he's going to illustrate it for us in in verses uh, 26 through 30. Verses 26 through 30, he's going to kind of flesh out this principle in practical application. And then in verses 31 through 33, he's going to tell us why. He's going to give us the reason for why we shouldn't be anxious. And then in verse 34, just in case we haven't gotten everything that he said, Jesus is going to give us one last very, very simple, uh, almost comical reason why we should obey. So let's look at the principle he gives us in verse 25. He says, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? So Jesus is really giving us two commands here. The first is he's saying, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink. What he's saying here is, is don't be worried about how your life is going to be sustained. Don't, be, don't worry about whether or not you're going to have food or drink. The second command is don't worry about your body. He's saying, don't worry about how your body is going to be clothed. And he gives us this rhetorical question. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And what this is here is it's a specific type of logical argument. Jesus isn't just making this this form up on the spot. He's he's applying to something that, that all the people there would have understood. It's, He's saying if, if this one big thing is true, if this is true and you accept this, then this little thing is certainly true as well. So, for example, we could say the First Christian Church lets us use their building every Sunday night. They let us keep an office here. And so since they do that, don't you think they'd let us meet here maybe one Tuesday night for a family meeting? The answer is yes. Because they do this much bigger thing They'll probably also do the smaller thing, and Jesus is saying, "Our life, our body; those are the big things." And He's saying, I, I've, "God has given us life; He's given us life. So won't He also give us the food and the water that we need to sustain it?" He's saying, "The body, my, my body, is more important to me than my shirt. If somebody comes up to me and they, they cut off my sleeve, I'll probably be irritated." But not nearly as irritated if they cut off my arm. My arm is a lot more important to me than my shirt or my sleeve. And because God has given me a body, Jesus is saying I should trust that he's also going to give me the clothes I need to protect it. He's going to flesh this principle out in verses 26 through 30. So in verses 26 and 27, he gives us the first example. He talks about life and food. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, when we come to this verse, we need to realize that Jesus is assuming something about us. He's assuming that we operate with a biblical worldview. He's assuming that we understand creation just like the Bible explains creation. That God is the creator, that God is the provider. If we're not operating from that worldview, what he's saying isn't going to make sense to us. It's going to be really confusing. So if I think, for example, that the, the world just kind of came about by chance. My life isn't a result of, you know, God's intentional creation of me. It was just some, some random combination of molecules. If that's true, then I don't have any hope that one day I'm going to get the food and the drink that I need to live. See, because chance could just give me something else, something completely random that I don't need. I might need a sandwich, and it gives me a typewriter. That's the way chance works. Now, I'm I'm not going to argue against those other worldviews. If if you don't really agree with the Bible's account of creation or or what it says about the world, you know, please come talk to me, but we don't have time to, to get into that now. We can agree, hopefully, with what Jesus assumes about us that God did create the world, that he didn't just create it and leave it alone, but that he's, he's active in it. He's sustaining creation. He's sustaining us. He's keeping us alive. So Jesus is saying that we need to look. We need to open up our eyes and look at creation, to see the birds of the air, to see that, that somehow they have food. Someone provides food for them. And because of that, he says... Are you not of more value than they? This is a rhetorical question. I think the answer is pretty clearly yes. You know, we might disagree. Some people might say, oh, you know, birds have souls, all dogs go to heaven, whatever. But the Bible says we're different from them. The Bible says, yes, we are of more value than they are. We are created in the image of God because we are men and women. We are his representatives on the earth. And so we are of more value than birds. And Jesus is saying, look at it. Someone takes care of them. Someone, the creator, the provider, gives them food. And we are more important than they are. So shouldn't we hope, shouldn't we believe that the same person that takes care of them is also going to take care of us? The answer is yes. Verse 27 says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? At first, it might seem confusing because Jesus is kind of mixing metaphors there. He says, uh, add an hour to his span. So he mixes time and distance up. But if you think about it, we do the same thing with birthdays. I say, oh, I just turned 30 this year. I reached another milestone. It's not like I actually traveled a specific distance on my birthday. I just got older and I explained it this way. Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying that that even if you don't want to trust that this person who takes care of the birds is also going to take care of you, even if you don't believe that, realize the fact that anxiety doesn't add any time to your life. By worrying, you're not going to make yourself live longer. In verses 28 through 30, Jesus gives us the second example. He turns his focus to talk about our body and clothing. But he uses the same illustration. He says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither spin nor toil. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Again, Jesus tells us to look at creation. To, to see how God sustains it. He tells us that grass and flowers, that they're, they're here one day, they're gone tomorrow. Somebody, somebody gathers them up and throws them into an oven where they're burned. And yet, God still provides for grass to grow. He provides for flowers to be, to be beautiful and to smell nice. He says that, that even Solomon, at, at the height of his kingdom, at the height of his glory, even Solomon wasn't dressed as good as the flowers are. And the point is that if God cares for them so much, if God cares for grass, for flowers like that, isn't He also going to take care of us? And so the next time you're outside working in your yard, the next time you're you're cutting your grass, the next time you, you trim hedges, the next time you spray Roundup on a weed, think to yourself, thank God that that doesn't happen to me. He takes care of us. He doesn't allow us to, to be killed like that. We are more important than grass. And Jesus is telling us something here when, when he gives us these two illustrations. He's telling us how we can fight, how we can uh, battle against anxiety in our life. He says that a biblical understanding of creation, a biblical understanding of creation with observation, open eyes, looking around, we combine these two together, they're going to produce trust in God. He's saying that, we, that you know, we, we, we're not just limited to looking at grass and flowers. We're not just limited to looking at birds. He says, look around, open up your eyes, look at creation and see how God takes care of it and have faith that he's also going to take care of you. By, by doing these things, by, by learning from what Jesus has shown us to do in this text, we can fight Against worry, we can fight against anxiety in our lives. In verse thirty, at the end, that's where, where Jesus kind of gets to the heart of the matter, and he fleshes this out. He says, "O oh, you of little faith!" You see, anxiety and worry in our lives, anxiety and worry in our hearts. They they don't show other people. It doesn't show other people how crazy our circumstances are. Or or how bad our financial problems may be. Or how uh, crazy the economy or our house or or whatever might be. When we have anxiety and worry in our heart, the only thing it shows is that we lack in our trust in God. It shows that we don't believe what He said. It shows that we don't believe He is who He says He is. This is where Jesus drives it home for us in verses 31-33. through He says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Here he's saying that because God is our creator and our provider, because we are his people, because we are his children, because we are created in the image of God, because he's given us a life, he's given us a body, because he's done the greater things, the more significant things, because he's done them, we should obviously have faith that he's going to do the small things. He's going to give us the food we need. He's going to give us the water we need. He's going to give us the clothes we need. Because he's already done the big thing. Because of that, he says, don't be anxious. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or what we're going to wear. He's already provided for it. And then in verse 32, he says, why? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's saying that the way we deal with life, the way we deal with, with bad situations or an uncertain future, the way we deal with them should be different than the way that everyone else deals with them. It's just the Gentiles will worry about them. The, the people who don't believe in God, the people who don't have any faith in God, they worry about all these things, they get worked up about all these things. We should be different. Verse 33 tells us how different we should be. He says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, the question we need to ask ourselves when we, when we face anxiety, when we face things that cause us to worry, we should ask ourselves who do we look like? Do I look like my unsaved neighbors? Do I look like my unsaved family members? Do I look like Jesus? Do I act like them or do I act like Him? Do I deal with anxiety like they do? Like everyone else does? Or do I deal with it differently? And the difference should be in the fact that we seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. Those are what we desire. Not not to have our our food provided, not to have our water provided, not to have our clothes provided. Those shouldn't motivate us. What should motivate us is His kingdom. This this command he gives us, to seek. This is a present tense command. And to explain to you what that means, uh, imagine that if if I tell my daughter, Dinah, I say, Dinah, pick up your toys. she walks over and she picks up three toys and throws them in the box and then goes back to playing, I'm not going to say, oh, well, okay, she picked up her toys. I'm going to keep telling her to pick up her toys until all of them are picked up, until she's done with the job. It's a continual process. This is what Jesus is telling us. He's not telling us to seek the kingdom of God once and get saved. He's telling us to seek it and to keep seeking it, to keep seeking it, to keep seeking it until it comes. Until it comes in its fullness. We're supposed to seek His righteousness. Seek living like He's called us to live until we get there. And the punchline is that we're never going to get there. We're always to seek it. Jesus says that when we do, when we seek these things, all these things will be added to us. When we have the right motivation. When that's what our focus is. When we don't worry about all these things. When we realize that he's given us life, he's given us body. And we trust him to continue to provide for us. All those other things that we might be tempted to worry about are going to be there anyway. And here we have to ask the question. We know that God is our creator and provider. We believe that. It's pretty clear that he's promising to meet our needs in this text. So what about when he doesn't? Maybe some of you are here tonight and they are thinking, God doesn't always provide me with food. God doesn't always provide me with, with what I need. He's not meeting this need in my life. Or you think about people who who live on the other side of the world and think, those people don't have food, they don't have clothes, they don't have water. What about them? Does does God's promise not apply to them? Does it not apply to me? We can say three things to answer this question. The first thing is that the promise that Jesus gives us in this passage is for children of God. In verses 32 and 33 there's a distinction between those who seek his righteousness, those who seek his kingdom and those who don't. The promise is for those who do it. The second thing is that the promise that Jesus gives us in this passage is for necessities not luxuries. He says that we'll have food, that we'll have something to drink, that we'll have clothes. But he doesn't say what kind of drink, what kind of food or what kind of clothes we're going to have. He says we're going to have And the third thing that I think we should realize is that sometimes, sometimes we're called to give up these things when we suffer for righteousness' sake. We've already talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and in the passage I read earlier from 2 Corinthians, we saw that, that Paul said he went hungry. He, he was cold at night. He faced these hardships for righteousness' sake. And so because of that, sometimes his needs weren't met. In the last verse, verse 34, Jesus gives us one last reason. He says, If all of this stuff, if this argument from creation, if, if who God is, isn't enough to keep you from worrying, let me give you one more reason. He says this Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The last reason is common sense. And I have to imagine that Jesus said this with a little bit of a smile on his face. When he tells the disciples, he says, "Even if you do worry about tomorrow, it's not going to do you any good. What's the point of worrying about tomorrow when you can't change any of it? It's going to come no matter what. You've got enough stuff to worry about today. That's what Jesus says. And I think that that's something that we can learn from because most of us here tonight would probably say that we're in a period of transition. The Lord is, I mean, that's a favorite among college students and even people who are are post-college. We're in transition. We're not planning on being in Hannibal forever, but we're here right now, and so we're we're just doing what the Lord asks us to do. And we spend so much time thinking about what's next. I'm going to do missions. I'm going to do ministry. I'm going to move here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this job. That we forget about what he's calling us to do right now. Spurgeon has this quote, which is fantastic. He says, don't fritter away your life thinking about what you intend to do tomorrow as if that could make up for the idleness of today. Don't fritter away your life thinking about what you intend to do tomorrow as if that could make up for the idleness of today. What he's saying is don't spend so much time thinking and dreaming and and telling other people about what you're going to do in the future. Do something today. And that's Jesus' point, too. He's saying that that by, by worrying about the future, we can't do anything. But the command in verse 33 is to seek His kingdom first. Before we get there. Before we start to try to worry about that. Do what He's told us to do today, tonight. As we kind of transition now to take the Lord's Supper together as a body, I'd encourage you, to think about those areas of your life that that cause you anxiety. Those things that that get in your face and cause you to worry, cause you to doubt who God is. He's able to meet those needs. And ask the Spirit of God to, to convict you and to challenge you to trust God more in those areas. And when you come to take the Lord's Supper tonight, I'd encourage you to think about this verse from Romans. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? The bread reminds us that Christ's body was broken. The blood reminds us that His blood was shed. These these two together remind us that our Heavenly Father did not spare His own Son. Remind us that He gave Him up for us. For our redemption, for our forgiveness, for our salvation. And all of this stuff we worry about food and drink and clothing, our jobs, our kids, our finances, our house, our cars all of these things are lesser things. And Paul's telling us in this verse, this verse from Romans, that he's already given us the greatest gift. He's given us the greatest thing He could give us, even greater than a life, even greater than a body. He's given us His own Son. His own Son died for us, and because of that, we should have hope that that all the other things we need are going to be provided. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. because of your grace, because of your love, that you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. And that we don't have to look to creation. We don't have to look to the birds. We don't have to look to the grass to know that you love us. We can look to your son We can look to his sacrifice on our behalf and know that you have provided for us. You've provided us a way of redemption. And so we ask that that truth would grip our hearts. And that as we trust you for the most important thing, you would help us to trust you in the lesser important things. We ask that you would move and work in us now as we, as we consider your word and we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. We thank you for your Son and his sacrifice on our behalf. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.